This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create positive change in the world every day by being a conscious consumer. I'm your host, Laura Alexander Wittig, founder of Brightly.eco, and I started this podcast a few years ago because I wanted a place to talk about the gray areas around sustainability and how being a conscious consumer can be challenging and confusing but it's totally doable. So join me in the name of reducing waste and living positively in the name of the planet. all of the feeling of accomplishment that can come with making small upgrades around your house, but oftentimes these changes can come at a cost to the planet, um, even if we're not meaning them to. So, you know, we might buy decor or furniture that's cheaply made and doesn't last, or maybe we're going to use non-renewable materials or resources that are going to have, you know, a larger environmental footprint than maybe we, we would know. Um, And so this week, I thought it would be interesting if I shared with you listeners about how you can go about doing DIY projects and home improvement projects with more sustainable um, actions in mind. Um, And I'm going to talk a little bit about some things I've done around my own home. Um, So before we get into it, you know, I figured, you you know, one of the reasons why we do these episodes is... In my experience, there's so many myths that are floating around in the world of eco-friendly. You know, what's the most eco-friendly? What's the least eco-friendly? And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that we like to talk about all of the things and we like to talk about the gray area between the most and the least eco-friendly. You know, there's a huge, huge delta between most and least and oftentimes whether it's because we're being talked to from a marketing perspective or we're being talked to from a lack of fact perspective because there's so much of that out there as well, it can be super confusing. And I, in my own myth-busting land, constantly am amazed about my own misconceptions and my own, um, I guess I would just say my own previously held beliefs. And so for me, the concept of DIY has always been very eco. Like, I've always thought, well, if I do something myself, I use my own two hands, you know, I I, I go about doing things like that, it's going to be more, I don't know, I mean, obviously, most of the time we think it's going to be cheaper, which that's usually the case. Um, But I think in the back of my head, I've always thought about it being slightly more environmentally friendly. And why? I don't really know, I could tell you. I think it's because I figured, well, you know, maybe we're in a situation where we're using materials are a little bit better or we're doing reuse and in that case it's going to be more eco-friendly but sometimes like reading a DIY project or you know uh, reading about one online or trying to duplicate one that you've seen on Instagram is sometimes not the most eco-friendly thing if you're not thinking about the planet when, when you're doing it right so that's that's the goal of this it's not to say that a path that you've gone down is particularly wrong It's more, let's just start thinking about where we're buying things from and where we're choosing to put our time, energy, and resources, also money. (laughs) So, I mean, if we start at the top, 
I'm sure you've seen those home improvement shows where they literally come in and just like gut the whole house or they like knock it down and they turn a, a living space into something that was totally not previously there, right? Um, and, you know, in recent years, I do think there are some um, designers who try to use, you know, use what they have or they like save things for later. I mean, to me, the biggest home improvement, uh, you know, uh, system or I'm not going to even say system, edit, 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 edit that out. So say, so to me, the king and queen of home improvement right now, of course, are Chip and Joanna Gaines of Fixer Upper and of course now Magnolia Network and Magnolia Fame. I love their show. It's been so interesting to watch, but they, of course, for the longest time would just go in and totally level stuff, um, at least from an interior perspective. <laughs> they obviously kept the homes up. But the thing that I do like about Joanna is that she does seem to, number one, utilize local craftsmen when she wants to do these like metal projects. You know, she's got her guy and, you know, th this guy that she uses all the time. I think his name is like Cliff or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's been a, lot, a bit since I watched that. But anyway, um, you know, she does use local folks to help. And I think that's number one. Like if you're going to do a big interior project and you've got things that you'd like to get done that you can't do in your own, with your own capabilities, of course, use local. I mean, obviously you're going to have to use a local contractor, but like instead of going and finding like a, a cheap knockoff of like a metal piece um, or like metal stairway, stairways, etc. Like Joanna likes to go and use her local metalsmith. And of course we don't all know metalsmiths, but perhaps, you know, I found kind of interesting local artisans um, to do things around my home, like tile, etc. I found them on Instagram. So maybe there's, there's a, a way that you could do that. Or of course you could go use Yelp. Um, but the other thing I like about Joanna is she also will save things. So she's like a super hoarder. I mean, I think she literally has said that in her show and she is, has the means now to like literally have a warehouse of things that she finds and she saves from other properties. Like she like saves windows and things, but she does reuse a lot of older things because they're vintage looking. She likes the aesthetic. Um, of course, we all know that reusing things like vintage items, etc. is also good for the planet. It prevents things from going to landfill. So again, just be mindful of like, you know, going through and just leveling stuff. But sometimes you have to. Like, that's just, that's life. And sometimes you have to. Um, and we recently redid um, Kitchen. And when we redid the kitchen, we knew that they're, you know, the cabinets we could not save because they didn't go. It wasn't that they didn't necessarily go with the aesthetic, which they didn't. Um, but we could have most likely repainted them. The problem was we were changing the layout of the whole, um, of the whole room. So they did have to go. Now, what I should have done, which I didn't do, and I'm, I'm always here to be vulnerable. I should have tried to list those cabinets, um, and other things that could be salvageable. I should try to, um, I should have tried to list them on our buy nothing group. I also should have reached out to, um, there are salvage, um, it's called, I think they're called like interior, interior salvage companies. You might've even been to one before. This Rehabitat um, is run uh, by Habitat for Humanity. They're almost like Goodwills, but for sinks and things that people can reuse. So I should have contacted them and I did not. And it's a big regret that I had because I didn't even think about it. So perhaps if you're about to uh, undertake a new um, 
project in your home, obviously this is a little bit outside the realm of DIY, but if you're gonna do a bigger project and you have things you need to get rid of, please look into a rehabitat or you can look into creative reuse centers. We did a whole podcast um, on one of these recently and I would totally you know, recommend donating to reuse centers and also using them and shopping those stores before you even get started on your new projects because they've got so many different materials available. Many, many of those materials were donated and kept out of landfill by other people. So try and like shop around locally for things that people don't need before you go out and buy a bunch of, you know, new wood from Home Depot or something. Like, there might be like some scrap things um, you know, floating around your community. So just make sure we're, we're really focusing on reducing waste when we're doing this. Um, and, you know, the other thing I'm going to talk about now is as we start to, you know, think about starting a new project or, um, you know, a new home improvement project, a new DIY project, what happens if you can't source what you need um, locally or, you know, reuse, etc. Because, Sometimes we don't have time. Sometimes we can't find what we need. I mean, that there's so many reasons why sometimes that's not possible. So that's when we start to talk about the, the, the typical things we talk about on this podcast, which is choosing things that are made with more environmentally environmentally friendly materials. One example of this is paint. So paint, back in the day, and even today, used to be made out of some just super nasty stuff that was designed to stay. Like it was like all about longevity. Nobody cared about what was actually going into the product. Nobody cared about the off-gassing and the chemicals that happen. So that's why when you're out looking for paints, I mean, I think most commercially available um, paints to consumers are, um, you know, I think it's table stakes now that they don't contain, contain VOCs um, and that they are VOCs is like table stakes. And then when we go from there, we start to look into, okay, what other things do these paints contain? Um, and making sure that you're you're just picking paints that are not actively harmful to the environment. Um, one example I can share is um, we I would like to do a project where um, we have a fireplace that needs to get refinished. I could, and of course the interior design, I'm like a I love interior design. I'm such a nerd about it. The magazine-ready interior designer that I am in my head, which is not true at all, wants to just, like, rip out the whole fireplace and put brand new ceramic tile and beautifulness on there. there I'm not going to do that for two reasons. Number one, the tile that I love is from Heath Ceramics. It's insanely expensive, and there's so many other things I could do with those dollars that I'm just... I just can't, I can't stomach, even though we, I need probably a relatively small amount of tile for that project. No, actually, number two, I have three reasons. <laughs> number two, I, I'm really bad at tiling. I don't know what it is. Listeners, if you haven't tried to tile something, I highly recommend trying once because people will come and tell you that it's so easy and it's so rewarding. And it's like one of the easier DIY home improvement type projects that you can do. I'm here to tell you from my experience, that was not the case. But I, I think I'm like in the minority on this one. It seems like most people really enjoy tiling. So maybe give it a shot. Please, please do. Tell me if you do. Um, but I can't tile. So if I was going to buy tile that is that crazy expensive and then pay somebody to do it, we're looking at, I don't know, at least $3,000 to redo a fireplace. At least it probably would be 
labor. I mean, it'd probably be closer to $5,000 if I'm, this is just back in the napkin math. I mean, that's crazy. No, I don't need to spend $5,000 doing that. So what's up with the current fireplace? Why does it need to get redone? Um, it is super old. It was built in the 20s. It is a focal point of the room that I need to, um, of the room that it sits in. And the room that it sits in is a small room and we just recently redid the kitchen and I talked a little bit about that earlier, but I'll talk maybe more about the cabinets and stuff in a second. Uh, fireplace though is, it needs to just get a little facelift. So what am I going to do? Well, number one, I'm not going to rip everything out. Number two, I'm going to respect the history of that home built in the twenties. We're going to keep it, but how am I going to give it a facelift? I've seen people just go and straight paint the brick, like with latex or acrylic paint. Um, and to me that like, this is going to sound so random. To me, it looks like you're like suffocating the brick. I think it just looks weird. And I mean, it can look okay in the right circumstances. Like I've seen it done to like an entire brick wall or something. And that to me looks better. But what I'm actually going to do is use something called lime wash. And actually Chip and Joanna Gaines do this frequently. They actually do it really frequently on the exterior of homes. So um, in Texas, where they're from and where I'm from originally, there's a lot of brick homes around. And if you're not in an area that doesn't have brick homes, you're not even going to understand what I'm talking about. But in Texas, it's just, it must be cheaper to use bricks in some instances. So there's a bunch of them. Um, and one way that you can give that quote unquote dated exterior a facelift, which that's up to opinion whether or not it's dated, is you can use lime wash to use to get a quote unquote whitewash type of um, exterior look. So it kind of looks, it you give the, the brick this white looking finish and then you kind of buff it out because the paint is not super um, thick and opaque. It's made of lime wash. So actually, what is lime wash? <laughs> so I actually, I used a company, it's pretty, I think when you look at the DIY projects, it's very common. It is called Roma Bio, and they have something called Classico Lime Wash. Um, and it is, you know, it's it's something that is actually made out of minerals, which is super cool. Um, there the the paint is is bio uh, you know bio based, mineral based, and it's derived from you know sustainable materials, and it creates this like very breathable coating. And I think it's funny like on their website that it says breathable coating because to me that was like the image that I had in my head of like suffocating of bricks with other types of paint. So I find it ironic and funny that they use the word breathable, but it's true. It's almost just like a little, it's like a tinted moisturizer for your bricks. Maybe they should use that on their, um, on their landing page. Just, just kidding. But it's going to be really easy. So again, coming back to like my DIY, I don't know if we talk too much about my DIY skills. Number one, I can't tile. I'm not very good at that. Um, I'm, I think I'm maybe a little bit too of a create, not too creative, but I'm too much of the like, like mad artist, like messy, chaotic. That's kind of my jam when it comes to being a creative person. Like I like to have a bunch of things all around and like, yeah, a little bit chaotic. So for me doing DIY projects that require a heavy amount of expertise, or not expertise, um, precision, such as most things in the DIY world, right? You got to measure a bunch, you got to use a lot of painters tape, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. That stuff is not my jam. And my husband will tell you it's, 
<laughs> my husband will say that it's because I'm being lazy or like I just like don't want to do it. Um, and of course sometimes that's the case, but that's not always the case. Like I do wish I had a little bit more of an ability to like color between the lines uh, sometimes, but it's just not my personality. Um, so anyway, when it comes to my skill level, this is right up my alley. I don't have to tile. What I do is I'm going to take this big brush. It looks a huge bristle brush. It kind of looks like um, like a horse brush or something. It's massive. You mix up that lime wash material with water. You then use that brush and you just like, just, it's just this like classic, like you, you just brush over the brick. And then if you don't like it, you can wipe it off with water, which is crazy. So that's actually how you do it. You basically start off by doing a thin coat over the whole thing. And then you get a rag and you just buff off little spots with water, with a, with a rag and water. Um, they even tell you to use like a spray bottle full of water to kind of give it that weathered look. And then you let it dry and there you go. Um, so that's my kind of DIY project because it's environmentally friendly, um, both in terms of the paint and then the process. Like I'm not having to demo a whole uh, fireplace. Then also like it's easy and I get to be a little creative and it doesn't have to be some crazy thing. So I'll put some photos of this when I'm done on Instagram. I've literally had that bucket of lime wash sitting by that fireplace for like a year now. And now that I've told you guys about this, I'm going to go do it. The next time I have time, I'm going to do it and I'm going to show you. <laughs> okay. So we talked a little bit about considering the materials. Um, what happens when we want to buy more furniture? Well, we have a whole podcast that we've done a few years ago, actually talking about fast furniture and how detrimental it is to the environment. Um, you know, it's made of inferior woods, woods that are oftentimes procured from questionable areas. There are just, you know, lots of things that is, are the matter with fast fashion. Uh, not fast fashion, sorry, fast furniture. But that just because we're saying to avoid fast furniture does not mean that it has to be uh, expensive. So how do you avoid fast furniture? Again, you do what we said earlier about you looking and on Facebook Marketplace, buy nothing, offer up all these places that might have some cool old antique furniture or even newer stuff that people are just done with. Like there's so many things that you can get uh, used. Like I got this beautiful, like a very bougie room and board uh, bed frame, like canopy bed frame. I think I want to say retail, it costs like $3,000 or something stupid, which I would never ever spend. Um, I got that for $200 from some lady who I guess didn't care. And she just like, like literally is like, I need this out of my house. And I don't know what made her pick the word $200, but Hey, I, I took it. Um, okay. So that's, um, that's what's going on there. Um, one other tip that I had for you would also be to look at new stuff that has certifications. So I actually was really excited to see when I needed some new bar stools recently, I did my whole search, I couldn't find them locally, wanted a pretty specific look. Um, I even sat on it and waited for a while. Um, but what I ended up doing was I found some on Target that were FSC certified. Um, so it meant that the wood was coming from a place that was, um, you know, responsibly managed and they're beautiful bar stools. Now granted, they were made overseas somewhere, so the carbon footprint of shipping four bar stools around the world is, is not great. Um, I will say, you know, 
Target does seem to be improving in some of these areas in terms of, you know, they're con uh, consolidating shipments, they're trying their very hardest to reduce carbon footprints, but they also are choosing to make things like these bar stools with, um, you know, better materials. So Target's one of those. Ikea even, you know, king of, you know, former fast furniture is doing better in terms of their sourcing. I mean, they've, they've always innovated from a packaging perspective, right? That flat pack, in addition to like allowing more people to fit those things in their small cars, is also crazy efficient. Like, I mean, can you imagine the engineers that figure out how to make that flat pack packaging? Like, so cool. Um, so that's, that's something that's, that's been super interesting to me as I think about buying new and maybe something that that's been interesting to you. Um, on the topic of materials, like we we're talking about, whether we're talking about being put into a final product, like a piece of furniture or materials around your home, we talked about thinking about the paint that we're going to buy. We talked um, about using recycled materials. Different types of woods can be more environmentally friendly, like bamboo, um, reclaimed wood, like anything that's going to be a fast generated uh, wood or something that has previously been used is going to be great. Um, so that there's there's another tip I had, and then I think the last tip that I that I have for you really is is thinking just very critically about where stuff is going when you're done with it. So we talked about like waste generation at the top of this episode, and again, when we think about you know the life cycle of things, it all kind of comes together, right? Like this whole podcast, I've talked about new things and new materials, but if we start every project or every purchasing decision with the thought around life cycle, then you could really, really start to understand maybe potential pitfalls or um, ways that you can reduce waste in that. So an example of this would be, look, maybe you really want to buy this like cheap, trendy piece of furniture that's a piece of fast furniture. And you first think about the life cycle of it. Well, number one, if it's super cheap, uh, it's probably not going to last you very long. That's, I mean, that's a rule of thumb, especially with furniture, right? Like it's, you generally get what you pay for with furniture. Um, there's certainly a ceiling to that, right? Like always make sure you reverse Google image search before you buy a piece of furniture. If you learn one thing other than the eco-friendly aspects out of this episode, please do that. Google reverse image search is your best friend because I feel like there's like such a limited amount of actual manufacturers that do uh, consumer available furniture, lighting, stuff like that. So do that reverse image search and see if you can't find it cheaper somewhere else. Um, but, um, you know, also take a look at the materials there. So are these materials going to last longer? You know, is maybe something made out of metal compared to like made out of plastic, right? Like, because there's a ton of items that look like they're made of metal, but they're actually made of plastic. So again, reduce that plastic consumption. We talk about all that all the time, but also pick items uh, or materials that are going to last a long time. Um, and, you know, the other thing I'd say is try to stay away from trends. We, it's, this is the same conversation we have with fashion, right? Um, pick stuff that's going to last a long time. Try and pick timeless things. So um, recently when we were redoing this kitchen, I was thinking about tile backsplashes. And that ends up being a place where people kind of go crazy if you want to. Um, and I was like, nope, not doing that. I am going to go for a classic look. And so we literally did white. Um, it's not subway tile. It's called Zalige tile, which is a Moroccan type of tile. Um, and it kind of looks, looks more worn, looks more hand, um, you know, hand done. And that to me is, is really cool. It has some texture. So it's a little bit more interesting than your classic white subway tile, but, 
Um, it's not something that I'm gonna hate in five, 10 years. It's, I mean, how can you hate white tile? Is it kind of boring? Yes, but what can I do with that? I can add trendy accessories on the countertop. I could even, I mean, I could just accessorize around it. And so that's what we talk about in fashion too. Get those classic pieces that are your um, base pieces, right? And then accessorize with trendy stuff because it's cheaper, easier to swap out and has much lower, um, you know, footprint if you're talking about little items. Um, and then, you know, the thinking about like wanting to, how, yeah, how long are you gonna replace this? Both in terms, I mean, I'm sorry, how often are you gonna replace these items? Both in terms of whether or not they work and their like longevity, but also in terms of um, the trendiness because, I mean, we've all toured homes or maybe you've toured a home on, on uh, HGTV where like stuff is so dated like, hello, sunken living room, although I'm a mid-century modern lover, and to me, I think a sunken living room is so weird that I love it. I'm also, those people, when I do interiors, I, I put a little bit of weirdness in there because I think it's kind of fun. So you probably hate a sunken living room, though. <laughs> Most people do. And what about, like, pink carpet in the bathroom? I don't think anybody likes that. I don't think anybody wants carpet in your bathroom. It's gross. It's not sanitary. So there's an example where, for a while, it became very trendy to do that. Don't do that. So Try your hardest to think about yourself five, 10 years down the road, even if you don't own your home, even if you're not going to be in the same spot, um, you know, because that's the other thing. People often think, well, I don't own the place I live in, so I can't do home improvements. That's absolutely not true. There's so many renter-friendly um, DIY projects that you can do online, and when you look at those projects, you can think, okay... I'm going to do something that's going to increase the value of this home because it's going to be a place I want to spend more time. You can also work with your landlord to talk about, um, sometimes landlords will finance some of these products, if, projects. If you're saying, look, I really want to upgrade this. I'm going to go in and I'm going to install like sink, for instance. The sinks drive me crazy. I'd like one that looks a little bit better and works better. Are you willing to, you know, uh, finance this or, you know, pay 75% of the cost and the other 25% I'll take because it's going to be something that I pick out. So you can actually, of course, work with um, the owner of the property to negotiate that. And I have a few friends that have done this and to great, ex to great success. So they're able to like get a look that they want. They're able to not have to pay for the whole thing because they don't own the property, um, but they're able to do something that works out for everybody, which is awesome. Um, and then the other thing I was talking about was, um, you know, making sure that we're, we're just really, really doing things that are going to be things that we like five, 10 years down the road. I think that's a big, big piece. Um, so the last thing would be around disposal of things. Um, so I think a lot of times, whether we're talking about doing a brand new project, got the packaging to get rid of, or maybe, you know, there's off cuts, like with wood projects, there's often like lots of wood left over, etc. So kind of coming full circle back to where we, we started with finding new materials for your new project, get rid of that old stuff in a sustainable way. So again, post that you've just finished a project, you've got some extras left over, post that in your buy nothing group. Look, check out those um, creative reuse centers where you can get rid of odds and ends and scraps. Um, and then, you know, make sure you're recycling stuff appropriately. And like a lot of times, at least building stuff, thankfully, seems like it comes in big cardboard boxes. Um, probably because it's cheap, not because it's environmentally friendly, but we like cardboard. It can be recycled pretty easily. So making sure that you're breaking those boxes down, which my husband does and I need to help more on heat, but he, he does most of the box breaking down. But one thing that I do help with with him before I, you know, before he usually does the box breaking down is um, 
I like to make sure that all the trash is out of those boxes. So any of the plastic that might be wrapped around things, styrofoam, oh, I hate it. It should be illegal, but if there's any styrofoam in there, just making sure that you're taking all the plastic, all the trash out of those boxes before you break them down because that can get into the recycling um, stream and prove difficult um, or even like impossible to be uh, for that box to be recycled. Um, so I hope you've had a, a nice time listening to me chat a little bit about home improvements and, and DIY projects because there's something that people I think like to take on around this time of year. I'm recording this in the summer. Um, we Sometimes we have a little bit more time on our hands. Maybe you want to tackle a project that has been bothering you for a while or it's something you want to set up in your backyard. Um, we're looking to get a new um, playhouse or new to us playhouse um, for my daughter B. Um, there are so many playhouses available for free or next to nothing locally. So I'm trying to think about like, again, the aesthetic person in me wants to have this like really cool mid-century modern looking thing uh, that there's like an Amazon Prime Day deal on today. Today's Prime Day. I'm not going to buy that. Like, I don't need it. It's too expensive. It's brand new. No, we're not going to do that. What can I do? I can look around and see some of these uh, playhouses that have already been used and loved by kiddos. They're taking up space in backyards. I can find one of those and I can maybe paint it with some eco-friendly materials. I can make it look I can give it a little bit of a, a facelift from that perspective. And there we go. B's got a, a new to her playhouse. She, it's new, new to everybody. Um, and it's gonna look cooler. So just like fight, resist the urge to buy everything new. If you've got to buy something new, consider the materials, consider where it came from, um, consider the longevity, because I think that that's going to be a really, really important thing for you, but also for the planet and helping us reduce waste. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode with me. Um, and as always, we love to hear your feedback. Let me know on social media at brightly.eco or send me an email. Um, love to hear it. Thanks so much. joining us on another episode of Good Together. To get show notes and more, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. Finally, don't forget to join in on the conversation with us on social media. You'll find us on almost everything at brightly.eco. Don't forget, we're all on this journey together, so have fun putting the planet first and stay curious.